Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, your weekly look at all things royal brought to you by Mail Plus. I'm Jess King, standing in for Joe Elvin. Well, let's kick things off with the latest news from the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English. Rebecca, thank you for joining us. You were expecting big news about the Queen's travel plans, but the news you got uh, was quite unexpected. No, it was a bit of a, uh, a really 11th hour um, change of plans this week. We were all expecting to cover the Queen on a visit to Northern Ireland. We've known about it for a few weeks, but we couldn't talk about it because of security reasons. Uh, and then uh, hours, literally, before she was due to take off, uh, we suddenly got a message from Buckingham Palace to say that the trip was off and that on doctor's advice, the Queen had been advised to stay at Windsor Castle and take a few days of rest. Will her trip be rearranged and have you heard about any future plans being changed? I've been told by Palisades that she's got quite a lot of audiences and meetings in the diary for next week and at the moment she fully intends to meet those. And of course the following week we have COP26 where the Queen is going to lead senior members of the royal family in welcoming leaders around the world to Glasgow. And actually I think this that's what a lot of this is about. She's had a, a really packed schedule as I wrote in today's Daily Mail, 19 official engagements since the start of October, since she returned from Balmoral. And I think they want to ensure that she is fighting fit to be able to, to uh, star at COP. Now, all of this comes just after she politely but firmly turned down an award. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Um, this was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? So the Oldie invite, uh, magazine invited her to receive an award and she got her assistant private secretary to write to them to say that while she was very flattered at the offer, uh, you're only as old as you feel and she didn't quite feel that she fitted the criteria to accept such an award and uh, this went down a storm. I think people absolutely loved it because she probably is the most energetic 95 year old in the country, I suspect. And Rebecca, in news from across the pond, Meghan Markle has added a new string to her bow, lobbying. Tell us more about that. Yeah, this had me scrabbling for my laptop late last night when it dropped. Um, I don't think the story is controversial in as much as what the Duchess has written a letter about is, is, is very universally popular in the US. She, there's legislation going through Congress to ensure that parents get proper paid parental leave. And there's also... Uh, proper paid sick pay um, and uh, you know, there's nothing to disagree with there um, but she's written to two senior US politicians very publicly lending her support and what I will do think will raise eyebrows is the fact that it's written on the office of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex letterhead she's very much saying it as the Duchess of Sussex there's constant references to Harry and to Archie and to Lily and asking them on behalf of her family to take her support for this initiative into account. And I also think this will add fuel to the kind of bonfire of speculation that Meghan does have political ambitions of her own one day. And her father, Thomas Markle, has also uh, been talking. He doesn't seem to be able to keep quiet, does he? 
gosh, where to start on this interview? Yeah, he has been back on um, to what seems to be his favourite television programme, Good Morning Britain. Uh, and, and this interview, to be honest, is all over the place. On one hand, he's talking about how he wants a rapprochement with his daughter. On the next hand, he is uh, attacking them. Um, he's saying that he's going to take them to court to try and get access to the grandchildren he's never met. He says Harry does nothing but cycle around Montecito. And I, I'll be honest, Jess, I find this quite sad, actually. Um, I, you know, he, he's obviously, you know, very hurt and very angry. But I think, as I said before on this programme, I'm not sure what he hopes to achieve by this. And I'm not really sure why people are giving him airtime anymore. And I suspect the period of kind of quiet reflection will do more than anything, if it is at all possible, to try and mend that, that rift with his daughter. Rebecca English, thank you very much as always. Now let's bring in my panel. Joining me this week are the country's two leading diarists, Charlotte Griffiths from The Mail on Sunday Welcome and of course Richard Eden from The Daily Mail. Thank you both for joining us. Um, let's start off with this uh, mega news. Richard, lobbying for parental paid parental leave in the US. Do you think this is a real political path she's forming now? Mark my words, this is the start of a political career for the Duchess of Sussex. I'm sure that um, you know the roots will begin from here. I mean, there's always been a sort of seamless path between lobbying and the political world, and, and they've already started on that. Um, we've long known that Meghan's been interested in politics. Um, I think she would have found it very frustrating when she was, um, you know, an active member of the royal family that she couldn't speak out on issues. She'd previously attacked Donald Trump as a misogynist and said other um, things about him. And now she's free to do so, and um, and I think she's going to be taking advantage of that. So um, there's going to be a, a lot more along this route, I think. So watch this space, Charlotte. What do you make of uh, Meghan's political interventions? Well, Meghan wrote her first letter at the age of eight. Remember, mm. um, so you know this is another version of that, but you know, ten times bigger and more important. And um, I think it is actually a really important issue. So Meghan's meddling. Um, I think in this case is actually a really good thing um, and it is a cause that is universally backed um, but it's a really good one and I can imagine what she's feeling now that she's got two, two children she must be thinking how do people do this without maternity leave I can vouch I've been there twice myself you know maternity leaves is an incredibly important thing um, for any family so I, I'm, I'm all for it so Richard good cause to get behind or, or an easy cause perhaps um, I mean I'm, I'm not an expert on American politics but I get the impression that this is an issue which is um, happening anyway so it seems like she may have sort of attached herself to a bandwagon that's already rolling um, and perhaps can then claim credit when it's enacted in, into law. Um, so I think it's perhaps not the most controversial issue, deliberately, that she wants to be associated with sort of successful causes and also causes which um, ally themselves with their long-term interests of um, supporting children or supporting um, poorer families or this type of thing. And it gives her an excuse to get her children's names into the letter. Um, which kind of helps her cause. And by the way, my children are royal. And, uh, you know, that's got to be helpful, hasn't it? Archie and Lily. And wasn't it fascinating how the letter was very much from the, the office of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex? Know, the formal writing at the top. You know, for people who wanted to get rid of their royal titles, they seem very mm. keen to make the most of the sort of gravitas that those titles give them. But then she said, you know, but I'm writing as a mom. Um, so she tried to strip it back as well, but yeah, did say the big title at the top, didn't it? Very official mm. looking. And um, 
her father, Thomas Markle, um, on the airwaves again. I mean, Charlotte, how damaging do you think this is to Harry and Meghan? Is it damaging at all now they perhaps don't have as much protection from the royal family? I don't think it's damaging at this point because Thomas Markle has spoken so many times and he said himself in the latest um, interview that it's not working because what he said he was going to do was speak every once in a while until Meghan got back in touch with him. And in the latest interview he said, I've been doing this for four years and it's not working. I'm afraid it's not working either for the audience. Isn't it a fascinating contrast though? I mean, we, we've had uh, Meghan in her letter directly using her experience of her father and her parents when she was a child, how they had to make sacrifices and this type of thing. Then on the other hand, we've got this complete cut off with her father that he's saying, you know, he hasn't met his grandchildren, he's never met his son-in-law. And it just seems so strange to me how on the one hand she's using the example of her parents who, when she lived with her father from the age of 12, he supported her through college, he paid for her college, I think. And then on the other hand, not to speak to him at all. It just seems such a strange contrast to me. Yeah, because she was quite open, I thought, in the letter about sort of her childhood and the experience she, she went through, which I sort of felt like we haven't really heard as, uh, much about before. She's alluding to it was a tough upbringing. Her parents obviously clearly, you know, needed to work hard to, to bring her up. Yeah, I mean, she went to private school, but that was because mm. of the sacrifices that they'd mm. made. Mm. And it, it just does make you wonder, you know, what has gone wrong? I mean, she was, she was relatively close to her father until she met Harry. I mean, she remember how she talked about she'd excitedly rung him up to introduce her dad to, to Harry, and then it went wrong so quickly. And it, it, it's just so sad that she can't find it in her heart to make up with him and... And then he wouldn't keep giving these interviews, which... Mm. But he's not making it any better. I mean, giving the interviews time and time again for four years, that's the reason why it's not getting any better. Yeah, he needs a, to stop now. If it's a vicious circle, isn't it? Yeah, totally. She won't speak to him again until he stops giving these interviews, but mm. he's made clear he's giving them because mm. um, his daughter won't speak to him. I know, very sad situation. Um, on a lighter note, though, I feel like we need to share this image. It's from a letter to Private Eye this week comparing Harry and Meghan with Vivian and Neil from the young ones. Um, now, what do we make of this? Do you see a similarity there? OK, I had to YouTube it because I'm so very young of that course. I don't remember the young ones. No. Well, I think um, the letter from the reader's a bit harsh, isn't it? He says, Sir, I could not help but notice a similarity between two young social inadequates <gasps> and two members of the cast of a 1980s BBC comedy. Do you remember? Um, it's the 1980s, <laughs> Richard. Was um, it? That, is that your era? I you were very young, downstairs as a, as a small child to watch it, and it was hilarious. But, yeah, it was about their dysfunctional relationship of these two student flatmates. I'm sure it's absolutely nothing like the harmonious relationship in Montecito between our... Um, I love it, Duke and Duchess of Sussex. The clip that I found, the one with the young, long hair, was really mopey and moany. Yeah. Is that about right? Does that sound about right? Yes, yeah. Um, so that made me chuckle a bit. Of course, nothing like the Sussexes. Um, love that. Now, moving on, Richard, to the Queen. Um, of course, we heard Rebecca talking about you know, the, the cancelled engagement. Um, however healthy she's always been, do you think that some are wondering, with the pandemic still very much uh, raging on, that we're relying too much on her? She's 95 after all. I mean, it's, it's wonderful that we have a monarch that's prepared to work so hard, carry on working until she's 95. I mean, you know, in this country, generally, people retire 30 years earlier than that. So it's an incredible feat. But I just think after a lifetime of service, you know, we ought to say to the Queen, you know, you can retire. Feel free to retire. I mean, look, we've got two popes at the moment. Even Pope um, Benedict retired. 
Um, so it can be done. I mean, I think she feels this such a strong pledge that she made to the nation. She's haunted by um, the abdication and the 1936 abdication, and she, she is determined to serve until she dies. But I don't, I don't think there's any need for that. The royal family won't collapse if she retires and hands over. And personally, I would rather that Prince Charles then abdicates in favour of his son, and we start afresh with King William. Wow, controversial, like Richard Eden. Oh my goodness. Maybe she feels it would collapse without her. I mean, I sort of tend to agree. And um, <sighs> she lives to work and to some extent works to live. I think it keeps her going. I think this is what keeps her, you know. I mean, she didn't want to accept the award. She clearly doesn't feel her age. Mm. Yeah. And I, I was noted how it said that she reluctantly um, took med medical advice on Northern Ireland. And you can just imagine her sitting at home, not with her gin and tonic or martini in hand, because she's has not allowed those anymore, <laughs> just sort of twiddling her thumbs and thinking, God, I wish I was there. But um, it might be a sensible move, because we need her on best form for Glasgow. Well, yes. I mean, do you think there'll be concerns about that? She'll be meeting, you know, presumably hundreds of people, world leaders shaking hands. Is it sensible? I think it's fine. They'll, they will have thought of that. I'm sure she won't meet hundreds of people. And um, she will have rested in the lead-up. I'm sure that must be the motivation, is to make sure she's well-rested and it won't be too exhausting for her, at least. Um, but she likes this kind of thing. She likes making witty quips about the work, world leaders <laughs> yeah. and sort of having little jokes with them. I think it'll keep her alive and well. I mean, what seemed so strange was to announce this, that she was resting after she had looked so lively. You know, we saw her with John Kerry. She was um, talking with him about how she'd seen him on telly in Prince William's Earthshot programme. And she seemed typically, you know, full of life and, and bright as ever. So it, it was a bit of a... Surprise. But she does have a walking stick now. That's a new development. True. So, you know, that's the first time in her long, long reign we've seen her with a walking stick. I would say bring back the nightcap, though. They're saying mm. she's no longer having an alcoholic drink. She's given up her martini. It's wrong. Let her Let enjoy. her have that martini. Yeah, enjoy that nightcap. And, Richard, there was also a suggestion that security concerns might have played into this. What more do we know about that? Um, I mean, it's all a bit unclear now, but in the past, um, whenever there's a royal visit to Northern Ireland, we don't learn about it until on the day because of security concerns. And I think in this case there had been some leak of details um, to um, media in, in Northern Ireland or on the social media and it had come out. So that may have played a part. And of course also we have had the terrible um, murder of a, a British MP. Um, so I think generally security fears are heightened at the moment. I think it's testament to her robust health that it's, people find it so hard to believe that she just needs to rest. If we just um, allow the Queen to carry on reigning you know, until she's, you know, like her mother lived to 101, then you'll have this constant sort of um, commentary about her health and, oh, she's got a walking stick or she's got this. And I, I think we should try and avoid that. I think that would be an undignified end to a magnificent reign, really. Mm. Interesting. Well, I hope she will be at COP26, as you say, Charlotte, giving some great quips to those world leaders. Now, if you are fascinated by all of these royal stories, and I'm guessing you are if you're watching this, then you will probably be interested in receiving Richard's weekly newsletter. Richard, tell us what you've got. 
Well, in these busy times, there is so much um, raw news, isn't there? And it's easy to miss things. So what better way can there be to receive an email direct to your inbox every Thursday with all the main stories from the week, plus a bit of um, you know, gossip if you're, if you're lucky and um, hopefully a few things that you don't know. Wouldn't miss it for the world. What a fantastic plug there. And it's all for <laughs> free. Well, to sign up, head to mailplus.co.uk forward slash palace hyphen newsletter. And that link should be on your screen now. Well, let's move on to our future queen, the Duchess of Cambridge, whose autumnal fashion choices have been widely praised, with observers suggesting her choices reflect a growing confidence in her role. I've been speaking to some experts about Kate's style evolution. From the Tudors to the Georgians, royal wardrobes of the past are often associated with displays of extravagant opulence and wealth. Fashion was a bold statement about status and power. There was no other means for the monarch to communicate, really. The only way in which the, the nation knew what the monarch looked like was through a small number of officially sanctioned portraits, which were used to make sure that the monarch was recognisable. Um, and at a time when very few people would have had any kind of interaction with them themselves, um, these, these clothes had to do a lot of the talking for them and really had to kind of convey uh, the power and the ma majesty of monarchy. Long before the invention of the internet, royal women were influencing style. From Queen Charlotte, who stipulated that only Spitalfield silk should be worn in her court to promote British industry, to Queen Alexandra, who bought international brands from Europe and beyond. Today's royals may be more subtle in their sartorial choices, but as stylist Claire Lopez explains, it's still as important as ever. It's how we're judged by the world, rightly or wrongly, um, and particularly for a female public figure, even more so, the way they, they dress is under huge scrutiny. The royals, they are um, ambassadors for the country, and for the institution of monarchy. So they are 100% um, judged by the, the sartorial choices they make and the style stakes are high. The Duchess of Cambridge is mastering autumnal dressing. From the shimmering gown at the Bond premiere to a jewel bright suit in Northern Ireland and a seasonal green at London's Kew Gardens. But from the red carpet to tours at home and abroad, just how much work goes into a royal outfit? It's about hitting that right note between um, accessibility and yet being regal at the same time. Um, so it's a huge balancing act. They'll be scouting for locations, checking how the fabric works. When she sits in engagements, does it wrinkle? Does the skirt come up too high? All those considerations on a practical level. And then symbolism. So. Obviously, they, they reference um, quite frequently the country that they are travelling to. So a little maple leaf um, embroidered onto a beautiful gown for a, a visit to Canada. Um, Shawal kameezes for, you know, trips to Pakistan and so on. And then, you know, wearing a local designer. So again, the 2016 India trip, there was a, a, a local Mumbai designer Anita Dongre that, that they used. So all of that, it, it's a diplomatic exercise as much as a, a fashion and style exercise. Claire talks me through some of the key Kate looks that highlight how the Duchess's style has evolved as she's gained confidence as a member of the royal family. At Kate's um, first official engagement after her marriage, she wore um, a tweed uh, 
frock coat, which was obviously very safe um, and quite reminiscent of her previous style. But if we fast forward um, several years, her fashion choices become much bolder. She's experimenting more and um, wearing an Alessandra Rich um, polka dot dress. 2019 was definitely the year of the trouser for um, Kate Middleton. She um, wore a pair of Massimo Duty, I think they were 70, 70 pound pair of trousers for the um, Chelsea Flower Show in the May, um, paired with a pair of um, sneakers, you know, 50 pounds. She's very good at um, wearing high street. Equally the same year, she's back wearing a pair of LK Bennett wide leg trousers with a little Sandro um, striped knit. Again, something that she had reworn earlier on in that week. Kate is so glamorous and so elegant. For me, she always nails the red carpet. Um, she often chooses the same designer. So she's worked for a long time with Jenny Packham at this ARC charity gala. Beautiful, stunning dress. Um, she's also obviously worn um, her for the latest Bond premiere. But obviously, there's been lots of comment about the, the, the similarities between the dress that uh, she and Princess Diana wore um, to the Bond premiere back in 1985. Um, you know, this, the shape is very similar, shimmering metallics, um, the plunging V neckline. That's not by, by chance, but a beautiful choice. The power of fashion remains, and today's royals are utilising their wardrobes to maximum effect. Well, before I bring in our panel, I want to get some thoughts from Rebecca English again. Um, Rebecca, you regularly see Kate up close and personal. Have you noticed a change in her recently? I've done quite a few engagements with her recently, and I think you're right. I think there's definitely a spring in her step that wasn't there before, and a sense of confidence we haven't seen before. And I suspect that's largely to do with the fact that she is a mother of three children, that her children, her older children are now at school, her younger child's at nursery. They, you know, so she's got more time to spend on herself as a woman. And a lot of these long-term projects she's been working on are starting to come to fruition, such as the, the Centre for Early Year Study with the Royal Foundation that she set up. Um, so I, I think everything is kind of coming together to, for her, and you can see that at long last. And she seems to be taking on more speaking engagements as well. Do you think Prince William is also encouraging her behind the scenes? Kate was always really nervous of the public speaking uh, aspect of her job, and that's something she's worked on quite a lot behind the scenes. Uh, and I think you can start to see the fruition of those efforts now. She's much more confident in, a, in what she wants to say and how she wants to deliver, with it, deliver it. And William, I know, is exceptionally proud of her. Um, he mentioned to me once, you know, how, how proud he was of her and how she would especially when she was kind of forming this early years initiative, that she would be sitting there in the evenings in the armchair at Kensington Palace mugging off on her papers. She's really put in the homework on this. So I know this is something he is incredibly proud of her about and something he is going to give her any support he can to uh, take it to the next level. And she had a conversation this week with Ant McPartland from Ant and Deck fame, of course, uh, that gained lots of attention. Uh, before you tell us about it, let's just see a little clip. I mean, I, I found that But then once, as soon as you opened up to people, probably got to disappear. Yeah. You know, and it gets better. And then it helps them. And that's the bit that's really passionate about it. So we've got to get in there before. It yeah. gets to crisis points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So many of you hit time and time again. 
Kate was at a Forward Trust event this week to launch a campaign about addi addiction. And in, actually, she gave a, a pretty powerful speech as part of that, talking about how none of us are immune to the issues around addiction. And we need to be more compassionate in our treatment of those who suffer from it and understand this is you know, a mental health issue as much as anything else. But Ant and Dec were there and she bumped into them. She looked quite surprised when she saw her. I don't think she expected to see them. And Ant really opened up to her about the issues that he's had. Of course, we know in the UK, he's had a very well-publicised addiction to um, super strength painkillers following a knee injury that resulted actually in an accident and a, and a court case as a result of that. And, and he really opened up to Kate. And the one thing when I go on these royal jobs, when I speak to people after they've spoken to the Duchess and said, how was it? They always say what an empathetic listener she is. And, and when they talk to her, it's never about her, it's about them. And I think that's obviously encouraged even someone like Anne who has dealt with this issue you know, in the public limelight to open up to her. Thank you once again, Rebecca. And now back to the panel. Charlotte, what do you make of Kate's sartorial choices recently? I think she's making quite bold colour choices lately. And I'm wondering if she's taking a leaf out of the Queen's book. You know, the Queen sort of wears like lime green so that you can see her from a mile off. And when she went, uh, when Kate went to an event this week about addiction, raising awareness for addiction, to a really bold red dress. And I thought that was very unlike a Kate we've seen before um, and I thought it was actually quite sexy um, although it was demure it had a it had a high neckline she wore very high heels which is kind of unusual for her you know gone are those LK Bennett sort of pale nudes although they were nude because you know she has a she has a vibe she can never lose I guess it's the nude shoe but um, it, there was a new a new Kate but then I also thought she dressed quite blandly for the Earthshot prize. Um, it was so, a recycled gown? I know, that was the point, it was recycled. And actually it was the amazing belt she wore for her wedding day, which was quite spectacular. But she faded into the background a bit. Maybe that was deliberate, I'm not sure. I, th I think um, the Touch of Cambridge is so kind of unselfish with her choices that I think she probably thought this was William's big moment because he's been, you know, leading the Earthshot Prize and she probably wanted the focus to be on him. At the same as we've seen her at weddings, like at Harry and Meghan's wedding, she wore a dress that she'd worn before. And I think that was because she was saying, I'm not making any effort to upstage the bride. It's not, today's not about me. So I think mm. it's very sort of unselfish. Can you imagine Meghan choice. doing that? Can you imagine <laughs> Meghan wearing a pale colour so she could disappear behind her husband at an important event? <laughs> and so I thought William looked amazing. I don't think you guys agree with me, but I liked his whole kind of Steve Jobs-esque polo mm. and, and velvet jacket no? I'm not no. sure I'm going to be popping out to buy my green velvet um, smoking jacket and it looked like it. he was trying to do a TED talk I think it really aged him as well and um, it was a bit more oh, exciting than his usual attire though yeah and the velvet jacket was great the polo neck was an absolute disaster I'm <laughs> maybe sorry. he should have no teamed way. it with a, a sort of funky shirt beneath yeah you know? funky shirt would have been cool oh, I mean, no. yeah. funky can, you imagine, shirt? can you imagine <laughs> Harry over in LA sort of I bet he was just sniggering saying there's my brother trying to be cool but he just look like a dad in a polo neck I'm sorry well <laughs> disagree cool. with you guys on this one I'm all here for the polo neck uh, William <laughs> and Richard it seems that um, what Kate and William want also has kind of more increasing weight in the in the wider royal family do you think that is the case 
I think the um, sort of the blossoming of the Duchess of Cambridge is just fascinating to watch. Um, I wrote an item in my diary the other week about how um, Catherine had been in talks with a, a very senior TV producer. And I think that, that was about um, making a program, potential program, about early years development, which is a cause close to her, her heart. And I think that would be fascinating to see her on television presenting a program. Um, and I think it's all part of that. They are taking an increasing role, and but both of them very much so. And watching them sort of in union, and we've seen it, um, we've noticed it more perhaps since um, Harry and Meghan left for America and, and I think it, it's a very positive development generally. I think it's essential they turn up the glamour because the Fab Four never came to fruition. Um, I'm afraid the royal family look quite bland compared to Meghan and Harry. They just have that star quality and Kate has got to ramp it up because she's got to bring the glamour. She is she is our last hope for glamour in the royal family now. Well she certainly did that with the James Bond premiere didn't yeah, she? Yeah and she My did. And the ra yeah so she's, she's stepping up to the plate like she always does I have to say. I mean the James Bond premiere Jenny Packen dress was incredible. She shows she's still got it, I think. Yeah. Well, she was certainly sprinkling some magic stardust that, that night. Um, thank you both so much, as always. That is all we have time for this week. My thanks to Rebecca English, Charlotte Griffiths, Richard Eden, and, of course, to you for watching. We'll see you next week on Palace Confidential. Bye-bye. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And of course, you can come back next week and join me, Joe Elvin, for more Palace Confidential. Mm -hmm.